beginning with verse 12. The Lord said to Moses, Go up into this mountain of Abiram and see the land that I have given to the people of Israel. Now this is grace. Now remember, Moses walked in faith at the rebellion. So the only people who should have gone into the promised land from that generation would be Joshua, Caleb, and Moses. And and maybe Aaron also, all right? They walked in faith. But then later on, Moses and Aaron did not treat God as holy before the people. And they publicly disobeyed God. Now, you know, you look at that and you go, God's being a little sensitive, don't you think? No, because that rock, the rock was Jesus. That rock that followed them in the wilderness was Jesus. The first time, he was to strike it. The second time, he was to speak to it. Because Jesus would only die once. He would only die once on the cross. But look at what grace did. Moses, I'm not going to let you go into the promised land because of what you did. Moses, I want you to see it. Now, I look upon this and I think, would you look at the grace of God? He said, I'm going to let you see it. I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you see the promised land. You've, you've never seen it, Moses. So I want you to go up into this mountain and I want you to see it. That I have given past tense. Now, they had not gone into the land yet. But like all of the promises of God, they are yes and amen. Okay, this is, this is a done deal, all right? This is a done deal. When you have seen it, you also shall be gathered to your people as your brother Aaron was. Because you rebelled against my word in the wilderness of Zin when the congregation quarreled, failing to uphold me as holy at the waters before your eyes. These are the waters of Meribah at Kedish in the wilderness of Zin. Now notice, you rebelled against my word. He said, I told you to do something. And he did this out of anger. He let his anger control him. Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation. So his prayer is a prayer of succession. He said, Lord, somebody's got to take over. So he feels responsible. He said, Lord, okay, it's time for me to go home. I get to rest now for my labors, but who's going to take over? Who shall go out before them and come in before them? Who shall lead them? Go out, come in, lead them out, bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be a sheep who have no shepherd. He's saying, God, they need a leader. The Lord said to Moses, now notice, God didn't appoint a successor until it was time. See, we've gotten to this new thing in the world where, where, you know, you have to raise up a successor long before a successor is needed. You know, I I talked to one of my friends uh, down in Australia, and, you know, for a long time he kept praying, God, who's going to take over the church for me? Who's going to take over the church for me? I'm getting old. And I kept telling him, you're not done yet. You're not done yet. So he's finally quit worrying about the successor because he's realized God's not done with him yet. God's got lots of years left in him. 
You know, there are people, who's going to succeed you, Pastor Samra? I don't know. You know, I, these people who want to keep talking about succession when you're still young. Now, I want you to notice that the, the concept of successor did not come up until it was time for Moses to die. And God had somebody ready. So don't worry about succession. Moses felt very responsible. So he immediately, when God said it's time to die, he said, Lord, who's going to be successor? And the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit, and lay your hand on him. Ah, so this guy has the Holy Spirit. And lay your hand on him. Make him stand before Eleazar the priest and all the congregation, and you shall commission him in their sight. So there is no question of succession. You shall invest him with some of your authority, that all the congregation of the people may obey. All right, so you you put your authority. This is these are the rules of succession. Put your authority on them. And he shall stand before Eliezer the priest, who shall inquire for him by the judgment of the Urim before the Lord. At his word they shall go out, and at his word they shall come in, both he and all the people of Israel with him, the whole congregation. And Moses did what the Lord commanded him. And he took Joshua and made him stand before Eliezer the priest and the whole, notice, the whole congregation. And he laid his hands on him and commissioned him as the Lord had directed through Moses. These, these are the principles of succession. All right. This is when succession is talked about. This is who is chosen, chosen by whom, how authority is transferred. This is how it's done. Chapter 28, verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the people of Israel and say to them, My offering, my food for my food offerings, my pleasing aroma, you shall be careful to offer to me at its appointed time. And you shall say this to them. This is the food offering that you shall offer to the Lord. Two male lambs, a year old without blemish, day by day, as a regular offering. And one lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. Also a tenth of an ephah, a fine flour for a grain offering, mixed with a quarter of a hin of beaten oil. It is a regular burnt offering, which was ordained at Mount Sinai for a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. Its drink offering shall be a quarter of a hin for each lamb. In the holy place you shall pour out your drink offering of strong drink to the Lord. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight. Like the grain offering in the morning and like its drink offering, you shall offer it as a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. On the Sabbath day, two male lambs a year old without blemish and two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour for a grain offering mixed with oil and its burnt offering. And this is the burnt offering every Sabbath, besides the regular burnt offering and its drink offerings. At the beginning of your months, you shall offer a burnt offering to the Lord. Two bulls from the herd, one ram, seven male lambs a year old without blemish. Also three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour for a grain offering, mixed with oil. For each bull and two-tenths of fine flour for a grain offering, mixed with oil, one for the ram. And a tenth of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering for every lamb, for a burnt offering with a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. 
Their drink offerings shall be half a hen of wine for a bull, a third of hen for a ram, and a quarter of a hen for a lamb. This is the burnt offering of each month throughout the months of the year. Also, one male goat for a sin offering to the Lord. It shall be offered beside the regular burnt offering and his drink offering. On the fourteenth day of the first month is the Lord's Passover. Now this is a big deal. On the fifteenth day of this month is a feast. Seven days shall be unleavened bread shall be eaten. On the first day there shall be a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. And notice there are some special things that still need to be done. But offer a food offering, a burnt offering to the Lord, two bulls from the herd, one ram, and seven male lambs a year old. See that they are without blemish. Why? Because this points to Jesus, the lamb that was slain from the foundations of the world. Also, their grain offering of fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah you shall offer for each bull, and two-tenths for a ram. A tenth you shall offer for each of the seven lambs. Also, one male goat for a sin offering to make atonement for you. You shall offer these besides the burnt offering of the morning, which is for a regular burnt offering. In the same way, you shall offer daily for seven days the food for a food offering, with a, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. It shall be offered besides the regular burnt offering and its drink offering. On the seventh day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. On the day of the first fruits, when you offer a grain offering of new grain to the Lord at your feast of weeks. Now here's another feast, all right? So we have the uh, feast of Passover, and now we have the feast of weeks. You shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. But offer a burnt offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Two bulls from the herd, one ram, seven male lambs a year old. Also their grain offering of fine flour mixed with oil. Three-tenths of an ephah for each bull, two-tenths for one ram. A tenth for each of the seven lambs, with one male goat to make atonement for you. Besides the regular burnt offering with its grain offering, you shall offer them and their drink offering. See that they are without blemish. Now again, because Jesus is the sinless lamb. Chapter 29, verse 1. On the first day of the seventh month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. It is a day for you to blow the trumpets. This is the Feast of Trumpets. And you shall offer a burnt offering for a pleasing aroma to the Lord. One bull from the herd, one ram, seven male lambs, a year old without blemish. Also their grain offering of fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah for a bull and two-tenths for a ram, and one-tenth for each of the seven lambs with a male goat for a sin offering to make atonement for you. Besides the burnt offering of the new moon and its grain offering and the regular burnt offering and its grain offering and their drink offering according to the rule for them, for a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. On the tenth day of this seventh month you shall have a holy convocation to uh, and afflict yourself. You shall do no work. All right, now this afflict here means to deny yourself. It does not mean to bring pain or cut yourself or something. It's to deny yourself. You shall do no work. Now notice, there's a difference between ordinary work and no work. This is different. You shall offer a burnt offering to the Lord, a pleasing aroma, one bull from the herd, one ram, seven male lambs a year old. See that they are without blemish. And their grain offering shall be of fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah for a bull, two-tenths for a ram, a tenth for each of the seven lambs. Also one male goat for a sin offering, besides the sin offering of the atonement, and a regular burnt offering with his grain offerings and all their drink offerings. 
Now, I know that's a lot that we have gone through and I go, oh, Pastor Sumrall, that's not, you know, real inspiring. But now we saw some beautiful truth up here on succession. This is why we don't skip over anything. And we saw that there's this beautiful truth about ordinary work, ordinary work, ordinary work, ordinary work, no work. Ah, there's a difference. We'll discover the reasons for that later on. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship.
Our New Testament passage today picks up in Luke chapter 3, beginning with verse 23. When Jesus began his ministry, all right, when Jesus began his ministry, so there was there was 30 years with no ministry. Now, now this is very important for us to get a hold of because you know, there are people that want to write books about all these these lost years of Jesus, and they talk about all this ministry that he had that is not recorded in Scripture. But I notice when he began his ministry, his ministry began at 30 years of age. Okay, this was this was the time that God felt it was right. Being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Janai, the son of Joseph, the son of Mathanias, the son of Amos, the son of Naaman, the son of Esli, the son of Nagi, the son of Maath, the son of Matthias, the son of Simeon, the son of Joshek, the son of Jodah, the son of Joanan, the son of Risha, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shatiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adi, the son of Kosham, the son of Eladam, the son of Ur, the son of Joshua, the son of Eliezer, the son of Joram, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon. Ah, you're getting some names you recognize now. The son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of Elikim. The son of Maleah, the son of Mena, the son of Mathatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz. Now here's Boaz in here, all right? Here's Boaz. The son of Salah, the son of Nashan, the son of Aminadab, the son of Adim, the son of Arni, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah. The son of Judah, recognize these names? The son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Sarug, the son of Ruah, the son of Beleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Cainan, the son of Arxaphad, the son of Shechem, of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamach, the son of Methuselah. Ah, the son of Methuselah. So, ah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared the son of Mahalalil, the son of Cain, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. <laughs> now notice, here's a beautiful truth. Adam is called the son of God. Now, because we got to go through all that without a lot of discussion, let's just throw a little thought into you. I want you to notice that Adam was created in the image of God. But when his children came, they were in the image of Adam. Ah, Adam is called the son of God. Now, there is a second Adam. There is a second son of God. Now, this is a whole different concept of the Son of God. We're not saying that Adam and Jesus are on the same level. But in another sense, in one real, very real sense, they are. Adam was without sin. He brought sin into the world. Jesus was without sin. That's why he had to be fully God and fully man. That's why he could not have an earthly father. He had to be like Adam and like Eve. He had to have the capability of sin, but the right to overcome it. Ah, there's so much to teach there. I'd, 
on the first Adam and the second Adam. There's so much beautiful teaching there. Now, you, you cannot put Adam on the same level with Jesus, please. Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. So please don't get me wrong in here. But I wanted you to see the beautiful truth that the Scriptures bring out between the first Adam and the second Adam. Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Now, this is where Jesus, capable of sin, because his mother is a human, but born without sin because his father is God. Now, here is where this comes and becomes powerful. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. This is where he was baptized and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So Jesus is also, Jesus is led by the Spirit. Now, one of the beautiful truths about the Trinity, okay, you, yeah, don't ask me to explain everything about the Trinity because I don't understand either, but there is a, an interfacing of authority structures. In the Old Testament, we would see, Old Testament, we would see Father, Son, Holy Spirit in that ranking. In the Gospels, we see Father, Holy Spirit, Son. And then after the resurrection, we see Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is actually guiding and leading Jesus' life because, yes, he's fully God, but he's also fully man. Now, this is a beautiful doctrine. This, that would take about an hour to go through. For 40 days, being tempted by the devil, not demons. Okay, this was, this was special attention. And very rarely would a human being ever get special attention from the devil. You know, people always want to run time. Well, the devil maybe do it. The devil said this. Yeah, you know, the devil is, is not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at once. Okay, yes, he can move quickly, but he can't be everywhere at once. But Jesus had special attention. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if... You are the Son of God. Command this stone to become bread. So temptation always begins with insecurity. That's where temptation begins. The devil works on getting you insecure. And temptation will come against your weakness. He has not eaten for 40 days, and he's hungry. That's his weakness. Always understand, Satan will never tempt you at your strengths. He goes at your weaknesses. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. So Jesus answers temptation with the word. Now, you're going to have to learn to answer temptation. You don't just let temptation bobble around in your mind like a ping pong ball rolling around. When temptation comes into your mind, and that's all temptation is, is a thought, you've got to learn to answer it with the word. Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. The devil took him up and showed him all, not just a few, all the kingdoms of this world in a moment of time. All right, so this was a fast reveal. And remember, Satan can move very fast. So Satan took him up. Satan just picked him up, carried him. They did a quick world tour, showed him all the kingdoms of this world in a moment of time. 
and said, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory. For it has been delivered to me, yes, by Adam. Adam is the one that gave over the authority of the earth to, to Satan. And I give it to whom I will. Yes, he will. The Antichrist, the Antichrist will receive this. Now, he tried to give the authority over all the kingdoms of this world. He tried to give all the glory, the wealth of this world. He said, it's all mine, and, I, and I'm going to give it to whom I will. If. So Satan's temptation promises, his temptation promises always contain an if or a condition. I'll do this for you. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Wow. So the temptation is the crown without the cross. Now, this is significant. Every believer, every businessman, every Christian businessman, every spiritual leader will have Satan at some point or some demon at some point offer you your destiny without the suffering, offer you your destiny without the price. And you're going to have to understand when you start seeing shortcuts and, and achieving your destiny without the price, like, excuse me, that's Satan's temptation. That's Satan's voice. Okay. Jesus answered him. It is written. All right. So answered temptation. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Him only. Satan, I'm not going to serve you. And he took him to Jerusalem. All right, so Satan again moves Jesus, okay? There's movement. And set him on the pinnacle of the temple, the highest point of the temple, and said, if, okay, here's that insecurity again. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. Now, Satan knew who Jesus was. Throw yourself down from here, for it is written. So Satan uses scripture just out of context wrong application for it is written he will command his angels concerning you to guard you this is psalms 91 and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone and jesus answered him so again you answer temptation you just don't let those thoughts roll around in your head like ping pong balls. It is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until the opportune time. Now, beloved, that is an incredible mouthful. A season of temptation will end. It doesn't continue forever. Second thing I want you to see. Satan or a demon that's bringing that temptation will depart. And you'll notice a difference in the atmosphere when they depart. And they will return at the opportune time. Now, we don't know how many times Satan returned when Jesus walked this earth in his three and a half years of ministry. We know he returned 
during Holy Week. We know he faces Jesus inside the body of Judas. We know that on the cross, Jesus heard the same words coming from people, if you are the Son of God, come down off the cross, if you are the Son of God. So the opportune time seems to be seasons of weakness. When it's easy to defeat you. For some of you, it's in the middle of COVID-19 right now. For some of you, you've been under so much pressure. You've gone through so much. It's very easy. It's very easy for Satan to lead you astray. But you have to come back to the word. And, and not just pay attention because somebody throws some silly verse at you. Look it up in context and begin to see how things are not what people say they are. And that temptation may come through people. It may come through a friend. That was Judas. Okay? You, you don't know where it's going to come from, but there will be an opportune time. Now, some of you are going through that season of temptation right now, and it's like, my goodness, how do I overcome this thing? And it's like there's a constant pressure. In fact, one of the, the things that Paul calls temptation in the Bible is a thiblo. Remember that word? It means hardship. It's one of those things of pressure that comes down on us. It's an external pressure that comes down upon our lives. We studied about it a couple of weeks ago in the Saturday-Sunday services. There's so much pressure on you right now to just go do this sin. If you will hold steady and keep answering that temptation with the word, that season will finally break. Now, it doesn't mean it's never going to come back again because at the opportune time it will come back again, but it will break. All right, we've got a few minutes left today. Let's get into some wisdom from Proverbs for just a minute here. Proverbs chapter 14, beginning with verse 26. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence. So in the respect of God, one has strong confidence. I like that. If you will be a person who shows respect for God, you will walk in a, a real sense of security. In fact, New Living Translation puts it that way, are secure. And his children will have refuge. All right, so next generation. If you are a person who will show respect for God, you can leave a legacy of a refuge in God for your children. The fear of the Lord, there's that respect again, is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. New Living says it offers escape from the snares of death. One of the things that will keep you saying no in the time of temptation, that will help you with this escape hatch that Paul talks about, he said, but will with that temptation also make a way of escape? One of those ways of escape that God offers is respect. You stand in front of that temptation and go, you know, I'm not going to do that because I respect God. In a multitude of people is the glory of the king, but without people, a prince is ruined. <laughs> a growing population is a king's glory, but a prince without subjects has nothing. <laughs> it's very true. Okay, you, you have you have a title <laughs> and nothing else. You know, I've I watched young preachers go do that. They're 
They're princes in a, in a large kingdom. And because they want to be king, they go off and start their own thing. But, you know, without people, a prince is ruined. You're, you're just, you're a title with nothing. You're a pastor with nothing. You, you watch business people do this. You'll, you'll see a guy who's, who's a prince in a great business. And he wants to go be a king. He wants to go do his own thing. So he goes out and he does his own thing. And he has nothing. He has no business. He has a big title. All right, I'm the boss. I'm the owner of this company, but you have no business. <laughs> I don't remember who it was, but it was one of the great mentors in my life. And I can't remember which one right now. Who said, David, you're always going to have young men that come up that want to be kings of their own Nipah hut when they could be princes in a great kingdom. Interesting thought. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding. That's how God is. Whoever has a hasty temper exalts folly or exalts foolishness. A hot temper shows great foolishness. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Now, here is a health verse. A tranquil heart, a peaceful heart, leads to a healthy body. A person who lives at peace, have you ever noticed they're healthy? But envy, jealousy, makes the bones rot. It's like cancer in the bones. People who are full of envy are very sickly. It, it tears people down physically. You, you've got to understand there is a connection between the body and the soul. I mean, we are a spirit being. We have a soul. We have a body. But, but that body and that soul are very closely tied together. That's why if you're tired, you get depressed. If you're depressed, you get tired. There is a connection between the biological and the soul. Now, when, when your soul is full of envy or jealousy, it is very destructive to the physical body. Do, do, do you want to live a long life? Do you want to be healthy? You know, I was talking with a man the other day, and he's 63, and I'm 64. And he looked at me, and he said, I'm 63, and I have no maintenance medicines. He said, I'm, I'm taking nothing but some vitamins. I said, I'm 64, and I'm taking no maintenance medicines. I'm very strong. I'm very healthy. But, you know, we look around at other people that we know, and they're in their 60s, and they're almost dead. Their bodies are, are, are ugh. A heart at peace leads to a healthy body. A heart at peace gives light to the flesh. Beloved, learn to quieten your soul. As David said, I quieted my soul like a weaned child. Learn to quieten your soul. Learn to let your soul be at peace. You'll sleep well. You'll eat well. Everything in your body functions well. Learn to come into his presence. In his presence, you'll find peace. In his presence, you'll find joy. That's why it's so important to get up every morning and spend time with Jesus. All right, we'll see you tonight, 7 o'clock, as we get back into the book of Romans.